Welcome to Read By, a new podcast where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, George Saunders reads a section from Nikolai Gogol's classic short story, The Overcoat. To learn more from Saunders about his choice, check out the episode description. And now, read by George Saunders. Hello, uh, greetings to all the friends at the 92nd Street Y. Uh, this is George Saunders coming to you from out in California, where I'm sheltered in place in my little writing room. Uh, just uh, wanting to reach out and say hi to everybody at this sad time. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, and share with you uh, a reading from the book. Well, it's, it's, I'm sounding like a Catholic. A reading from the book of Nikolai Gogol. Uh, this is from The Overcoat. Uh, and I guess I picked it because at a time like this when... Um, it seems like the one thing we want to keep in mind is to try to be as, as uh, tender with each other as we can and kind of take care of each other. This is a section that always makes me feel uh, a little bit tender toward other people. This is a description of a, a lowly clerk named Akaki Akakievich who uh, works in an obscure department in the Russian government. Uh, and it's just kind of, a, I guess, a, a little background on him. No respect was shown him in the department. The janitor not only did not rise from his seat when he passed, but never even glanced at him, as if only a fly had flown through the reception room. His superiors treated him in a coolly despotic manner. Some assistant chief would thrust a paper under his nose without so much as saying, copy, or here's a nice interesting matter, or anything else agreeable, as is customary in well-bred service. And he took it, looking only at the paper, and not observing who handed it to him or whether he had a right to do so. He simply took it and set about copying it. The young officials laughed at and made fun of him, so far as their official wit permitted, recounted there in his presence various stories concocted about him and about his landlady, an old woman of seventy. They said that she beat him, asked when the wedding was to be, and strewed bits of paper over his head, calling them snow. But Akaki Akakievich answered not a word, as though there had been no one before him. It even had no effect upon his employment. Amid all these molestations, he never made a single mistake in a letter. But if the joking became unutterly intolerable, as when they jogged his hand and prevented his attending to his work, he would exclaim, Leave me alone. Why do you insult me? And there was something strange in the words, in the voice in which they were uttered. There was in it a something which moved to pity, so that, so that one young man, lately entered, who, taking pattern by the others, had permitted himself to make sport of him, suddenly stopped short, as though all had undergone a transformation before him, and presented itself in a different aspect. Some unseen force repelled him from the comrades whose acquaintance he had made, on the supposition that they were well-bred and polite men. And long afterwards, in his gayest moments, there came to his mind the little official with the bald forehead, with the heart-rending words, Leave me alone. Why do you insult me? And in these penetrating words, other words resounded, I am thy brother. And the poor young man covered his face with his hand, and many a time afterwards in the course of his life, he shuddered at seeing how much inhumanity there is in man, how much savage coarseness is concealed in delicate, refined worldliness, and, O oh God, even in that man whom the world acknowledges as honorable and noble. It would be difficult to find another man who lives so entirely for his duties, it is saying but little to say that he served with zeal. No, he served with love. In that copying, he saw a varied and agreeable world. Enjoyment was written on his face. 
Some letters were favorites with him, and when he encountered them, he became unlike himself. He smiled and winked and assisted with his lips, so that it seemed as though each letter might be read in his face as his pen traced it. If his pay had been in proportion to his zeal, he would, perhaps to his own surprise, have been made even a counselor of state. But he served, as his companions, the wits put it, like a buckle in a buttonhole. However, it is impossible to say that no attention was paid to him. One director, being a kindly man and desirous of rewarding him for his long service, ordered him to be given something more important than mere copying. Namely, he was ordered to make a report of an already concluded affair to another court. The matter consisted simply in changing the heading and altering a few words from the first to the third person. This caused him so much toil that he was all in a perspiration, rubbed his forehead, and finally said, No, give me rather something to copy. And after that, they let him copy on forever. Outside this copying, it appeared that nothing existed for him. He thought not at all of his clothes. His undress uniform was not green, but a sort of rusty meal color. The collar was narrow, low, so that his neck, in spite of the fact that it was not long, seemed inordinately long as it emerged from that collar, like the necks of plaster cats which wag their heads and are carried about upon the heads of scores of Russian foreigners. And something was always sticking to his uniform, either a piece of hay or some trifle. Moreover, he had a peculiar knack as he walked in the street of arriving beneath the window when all sorts of rubbish was being flung out of it. Hence, he always bore about on his hat melon and watermelon rinds and other such stuff. Never once in his life did he give heed to what was going on every day in the street, while it is well known that his young brother official, extending the range of his bold glance, gets so that he can see when anyone's trouser straps drop down upon the opposite sidewalk, which always calls forth a malicious smile upon his face. But Akaki Akakievich, if he looked at anything, saw in all things the clean, even strokes of his written lines, and only when a horse thrust his muzzle from some unknown quarter over his shoulder and sent a whole gust of wind down his neck from his nostrils did he observe that he was not in the middle of a line, but in the middle of the street. On arriving at home, he sat down at once at the table, supped his cabbage soup quickly, and ate a bit of beef with onions, never noticing their taste, ate it all with flies and anything else which the Lord sent at the moment. On observing that his stomach began to puff out, he rose from the table, took out a little vial with ink, and copied papers which he had brought home. If there happened to be none, he took copies for himself, for his own gratification, especially if the paper was noteworthy, not on account of its beautiful style, but of its being addressed to some new or distinguished person. Even at the hour when the great Petersburg sky had quite disappeared, and all the world of officials had eaten or dined, each as he could, in accordance with the salary he received, and his own fancy, when all were resting from the departmental jar of pens, running to and fro, their own and other people's indispensable occupations, and all the work that an uneasy man makes willingly for himself, rather than what is necessary, when officials hasten to de dedicate to pleasure the time that is left to them, one bolder than the rest goes to the theater, another into the streets, devoting it to the inspection of some bonnets. One wastes his evening in compliments of some pretty girl, the star of a small official circle. One, and this is the most common case of all, goes to his comrades on the fourth or third floor, to two small rooms with an ante-room or kitchen, and some pretensions to fashion, 
a lamp or some other trifle which has cost many a sacrifice of dinner or excursion. In a word, even at the hour when all officials disperse among the contracted quarters of their friends to play at whist as they sip their tea from glasses with a kopeck's worth of sugar, draw smoke through long pipes, relating at times some bits of gossip which a Russian man can never, under any circumstances, refrain from, or even when there's nothing to say, recounting everlasting anecdotes about the commandant whom they had sent to inform that the tail of the horse on the falconet monument had been cut off. In a word, even when all strive to divert themselves, Akaki Akakievich yielded to no diversion. No one could ever say that he had seen him at any sort of an evening party. Having written to his heart's content, he lay down to sleep, smiling at the thought of the coming day, of what God might send to copy on the morrow. Thus flowed on the peaceful life of the man who, with his salary of four hundred roubles, understood how to be content with his fate. And thus it would have continued to flow on, perhaps to extreme old age, were there not various ills sown among the path of life for titular counselors, as well as for private, actual, court, and every other species of counselor, even for those who never give any advice or take any of themselves. So that's from the Overcoat uh, translation by Mary Struve. Um, I wish you all the very best. Uh, let's all take care of each other, and uh, we'll have a big party on the other end. Thanks. Nine Two Y's Red By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Underberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings of literature for over eighty years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to Nine Two Y's Red By wherever you download podcasts. We're excited to say it's happened. We're up on iTunes. Thanks for your patience. If you enjoyed this recording, please visit 92y.org slash help now to donate to support 92y and its programming in this uncertain time. Your contribution means the world to us. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great readings at 92y.org slash archives.